So if you will, open your Bibles. Um, I hope you have Bibles. There are some in the pew back. Um, but we're going to be reading from the Bible, and our text is going to be drawn from the Bible, and all of our cross-references are going to come from the Bible. So it is good if you have a Bible, whether it's digital on your phone or you use one on, in the church. Um, but we will um, rely heavily this morning on the Bible, which is God's holy and inerrant word. So church, if you will, listen to the inerrant word of the living God in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard it, heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Well, we are back uh, in in Colossians. We've just started this book. This is our or this letter. This is our third week. And um, as we have mentioned in the past, um, the, the letter begins with an introduction as many letters do. And, and this introduction, we could say, is derived or composed of three elements. This introduction has three elements. The first element we handled two, a couple of weeks ago, and that was just a greeting. And, uh, and then the second element we, we dealt with the, uh, uh, the last time we were together, and that was a thanksgiving. So the first two elements are a greeting and a thanksgiving. In the greeting, that is verses 1 through 3, we were introduced to grace and peace. And grace is a big theme in this letter. So we should get a, have a good grasp of what grace is. Grace is undeserved or unmerited favor by God. And that is, and so um, it highlights that God has given favor to somebody else, um, not because that person has done something or deserved something. It is simply undeserved favor. And that was a big theme um, in our first message here on uh, Colossians. And it will continue to come up as we go through. So we should have a good grasp of that. And the other thing we saw in that first greeting, that first sermon, was grace and peace. Peace being uh, following uh, grace. And we, we discussed how grace precedes Peace. In other words, there is no peaceful relationship with, with God apart from his grace. There is no peaceful relationship with God apart from his grace. If you have not experienced God's unmerited, undeserved favor, um, there is no peace with God. So um, we saw that in the first, uh, the first week. The second element is, was a thanksgiving, and we saw that in verses 4 through 8. And thanksgiving was expressed by Paul, who's the author of this letter. It was expressed, um, thanksgiving was expressed that the Colossians had received the gospel through the faithful service of a man by, by the name of Epaphras. And so Paul is giving thanks that this, these, this, 
the the citizens of Colossae, the Colossians, had received uh, uh, the gospel through a man by the name of Epaphras. Paul is especially thankful that the for the Colossians' faith in Christ and love for the saints. In other words, I'm thankful that you have received the gospel and that you have a faith in Christ and you love the saints. You love one another. And we saw that this, th- that this uh, faith and love um, flows out of their hope for their eternal future. So Paul is thankful that they um, have received the gospel through Epaphras and that from the gospel they are people who have faith in Christ, they have love for one another, and that they, all of that flows out of their understanding of what happens to them in the future. All right, so like I said, the introduction has three, three big elements. I just explained to you two the two that we have covered, so let's talk about the third, because that's where we're going to go today. So let me give you a little preview. And prayer, then, is the third element of the intro, of the introduction. This is just the introduction to his letter. Next week, we'll get into the body of the letter, but we're still in the introduction. Three elements, greeting, thanksgiving, and today, prayer. It is Paul's prayer. Let me just... uh, Note for you kind of quickly that verses 9 through 14 are a single sentence in the Greek. And so I am going to handle this entire section because it is one, it's just one sentence. I know in in our Bibles it's probably multiple sentences, but it's a single sentence. And so I hope to be able to capture that thought in today's message. And there are three divisions in this prayer. And the first one is just the prayer itself. Paul prays. In fact, the title of my sermon today, if you look at the top of your notes, is Paul prays. So, Paul prays. That's the first thing we'll we'll address. The second is, uh, well, basically, Paul prays that they would know the will of God. We'll unpack that. The second major division of my message today is that, is Paul prays that their life reflects the will of God, that they would know God and that they would live as though they know God. So there is a moral component. They don't just simply know God, but they act like they know God. We'll talk about that. And then finally, we will actually see Paul um, inform us of the will of God. If you've ever wanted to know what the will of God is, we will, I will tell you what the will of God is, or at least a very small segment of it. It's certainly we won't exhaust that topic, um, but we will look at it very, very briefly. So, whew, that's our introduction. I need to breathe <clears throat> while I talk. So Paul begins this in verse 9. With this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. All right, so Paul is writing this letter since the day we heard, it's referring back since the day we heard of your reception of the gospel through Epaphras, we have not ceased to pray for you. Since we heard of how you, your faith in Christ and how you love one another, and all of this comes through the work of Epaphras, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so now Paul expresses his prayer. And Paul's prayer is very simple. 
From the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's Paul's prayer. Got it? What does Paul pray? He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's my prayer. That's his prayer. That's a good prayer that we can also pray. But they, Paul prays that they would know God's will. Now, when Paul is praying that they would know God's will, he, when he's talking about God's will, he is not talking about information regarding personal decisions. Like, okay, well, what is God's will? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I, should I buy this house or that house? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I make this investment or not that, or that investment? Should I take, should I wear black shoes or brown shoes today? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about some individual personalized, what is God's will in the, the, the direction I take or the road I take or uh, to work today. That is not what he's talking about. This is not a prayer in regards to some sort of personal decision. Oh God, what should I do? about, you know, what church should I go to? That's not what he's praying about. It is a prayer that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. So, let's first talk a little bit about this idea of being filled with the knowledge of the word of, will of God. Filling indicates that which characterizes the Colossians. So I pray that you would be characterized Filled with the knowledge of the will of God. This is a very important uh, word in the book of Colossians. It has the idea of being made complete, so or to uh, to be controlled by. Some of you may be uh, familiar with the uh, the passage in Ephesians chapter five eighteen. It says, "Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." That is to be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be controlled by this uh, this other. Entity or this other, don't be controlled by, by alcohol, but be controlled by the Spirit. So I'm praying that you would be filled, that you would be controlled by the will of God. We also see this in, in uh, Romans chapter 129, maybe a, somewhat of a, a negative sense, but, but here it is. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Oh, wait. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. They are full. This is what characterizes them. What characterizes them? They are murderers. They are deceitful. This is what characterizes them. Paul is praying that you would be characterized by something, um, literally the knowledge of the will of of God. Paul is praying that they would be characterized by something. We might use this term today. That person is filled with anger. That person is filled with sorrow. Or I am I am filled with rage. It is that which characterizes the, the individual. And I think I put it in your notes, but note this. I wasn't going to include this in my message, but it's going to be important later down the road, and that is a little grammar geek that, um, for us to understand. 
This idea of being filled, you will note, uh, you should note, that this is a passive verb. And so if you're visiting today, yes, we do deal with grammar. And, and a passive verb just simply means that um, that action is being done to the recipient. So Paul is praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. He's not saying that I need you to go out and actually fill yourself with the knowledge of God's will. This is what we call a divine passive, that God would fill you with, that God would characterize you with an understanding of his will. It is God who fills the, the Colossian church with his will. So then we, we've looked a little bit of what it means to be filled. What is the will of God? What does it mean by, I want you to be characterized. I want God to fill you, to characterize you with the knowledge of his will. I'm going to define the will of God as used here and I think as used mostly through the Bible is a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That that Paul prays that you would be characterized by a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I gave you numerous passages uh, in in your notes, but let me... uh, quote for you in Matthew chapter 7:21 something that Jesus says Not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven Jesus is not saying that only those who go to the right school or choose the correct house or wear the right shoes or something like that. You know, I, lo- I prayed for God to give me his will and he told me to go to this school to marry this person. But if I got it wrong, then I'm in trouble. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to know and have a knowledge of the abiding uh, revelation of who Jesus is. Paul prays that the Colossians would be characterized as people who know what God has said. What a great prayer. I pray that you would know what God has said. I pray that God would fill you, that he would act upon you in such a way that you would know what he has said. This is an important prayer, especially considering the context of Colossians or the setting of Colossians. It is an important prayer because in Colossae, there is a, uh, an outgrowth or a pro- prominent in the city are false teachers who are promoting what we would say is secret knowledge about God. We know we have this, this secret knowledge and for an appropriate fee, we will be happy to impart that knowledge of God to you. Paul is saying, yeah, you don't need those teachers and you don't need to pay them an appropriate fee. I'm praying that God will fill you with the knowledge of himself. That's what I'm praying. And today many will inform you of what God has told them. And we should not be surprised because the serpent in the very beginning said, has God said? Has God said? Really? Is that really what God said? Let me tell you what really is going on. 
And there are people in Colossae who will say, listen, I know Paul and the apostles, they say one thing, and all, but let me tell you the real skinny behind this whole Christian thing. And if you pay me, I'll tell you. Paul is saying, listen, I'm praying that God fills you with the knowledge of his will. You do not need to pay some false teacher. You do not need to pay the serpent to interpret hath God said. And I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Probably a lot there to unpack. I'll be fairly brief. Basically, Paul is praying that they be spirit-led, that the spirit is the source of this wisdom, that the spirit is the source of this understanding. As the Colossians make their way through the influences of the first century, um, that they would not be led by smooth Um, persuasive speech or flattering words, but that they would be informed by the spirit of the living God. Church, the ability to discern truth and make godly decisions is important and necessary for us in a culture that is distant and far removed from the things of God. We need the same spiritual wisdom in the 21st century as people who, are, who claim to be the voice of God seek to add to what God has already sufficiently revealed. And we're inundated. Our, our ability to communicate and to interact with people is so massive now. There are so many voices um, coming at us from so many different directions. Um, and so we do need to be led by the Spirit in the wisdom and understanding of the knowledge of the will of God. So that's Paul's prayer. It's very simple. We have not ceased to pray. I love that. We have not ceased to pray for you. And what have we prayed? We pray that you might be characterized by the knowledge of God's will, led by the Spirit. That's what Paul is basically saying. So, That's his prayer. Paul has a desired outcome. In other words, Paul doesn't just pray that they would have this. Paul's praying that if you you have the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that will affect how you live. That will have an effect on the way you live your daily life. And so we come to verse 10. So as, look at that key term, so as I'm praying this so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So I want you to walk in a manner pleasing to God. Knowledge of God's will should produce action. Knowledge of God's will should impact the way you live your life. Basically, Paul is saying, I want you to know the path of God so that you take that path. Many know the will of God, but they don't walk it. Jesus said that in Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," they may know he's Lord, but they did not do the will. Of, they did not walk the walk. Paul is now praying that you would know God's will so that you would then walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. I won't go into to great detail, but perhaps read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 12 through 20, because um, here we see the path of the wise and the path of the fool. And the path of um, the one who ends up, the, the path that leads to destruction and the path that leads to a, a, a joyful life. 
So when we talk about walking, it is really talking about that manner of life, the path that you take in life. I want you to know God's will so that the path you take in life is the one that pleases God. So knowledge is followed by action. I want you to know so that you live a certain way. So in other words, I don't want to just fill your brain with facts. I want to do that. But it can't end there. It has to um, move into your fingers and your hands and your feet and your eyes and your ears and the way you live your life. Knowledge is followed by action. And that action is informed by God. It is the Lord who sets the standard for this worthy walk. Psalm 1 said, Blessed is the man who walks, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Micah chapter 4, verse 5, tells us, For all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In other words, you, all the peoples, follow a path of other gods, but we will follow the path of the Lord our God. That's the idea behind Micah. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, I want, you to, I want you to have the facts of God's will. You need to know the facts. But it can't end there. You need now to take those facts and live them out in your life. This is the walk that is worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to Him. I want you to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. It is God who tells us what the worthy walk is. And let me also add fully pleasing to him. This was probably one of those things when I first became a Christian, maybe was a barrier to me, and I've learned was a lie. But the idea, well, well, if I become a Christian and I begin to serve God and serve Christ and do all of these things, then I'm just going to have a boring, unhappy life. I'm not going to be able to do all the, quote, fun stuff that I do now. Like, you know, drink a lot, and then spend the rest of the night over a toilet, puking my brains out. Yeah, that's great. How fun that is. It is a walk that is fully pleasing to him. Church, pleasing the Lord is not an unpleasant path of life. In fact, I would, I would assert to you that a characteristic of one who has been regenerated is joy in pleasing God. Living the life that God has put forth to us is the most joyful, most satisfying life that there is. Amen. I know people think, oh, well, then I would have to give up all the fun stuff. Actually, God will replace it with new, even better stuff. Our greatest joy, then, is found in pleasing God, and our greatest fear is in dishonoring God. My greatest joy is turning away from the things that do not honor God and doing those things that please Him. I'm not always perfect. Often not Perfect. Often I choose my, my own way. Do not think that I'm up here saying that I always do the pleasing will of God all day long, every day. Man, I'm 
off track a lot, which is why we have confession uh, of sin. So, anyways, I'm just uh, my my point here is that fully pleasing the Lord is um, doing God's will is not only pleases God, but it will be the most satisfying thing choice or path of life that you will take. So, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. I pray that you would know God's will and that you would bear fruit so that you would walk in a manner that pleases him and that you would bear fruit. This certainly has creation overtones. Paul or God told Adam and Eve in the garden to do what? Be fruitful and multiply. Here it is being fruitful and increasing. John chapter 15, um, verses 8 and 16, Jesus says this. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And then in verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. So the the command is that we would bear fruit. Paul here is praying that as you know the will of God, one of the products of that prayer of knowing God's will is that you would bear fruit. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 details the fruit of the Spirit. And that um, you would increase in the knowledge of God. So I'm praying that you would know God's will so that you would choose the the path that honors God and you would um, bear spiritual fruit. And you can look at that Galatians passage to give you a good rundown of that. And that, as we read in in Jesus' words, is why he called us to bear fruit and that you would increase in the knowledge of him. So here we, once again, we have the knowledge of God. I want you to know God. There are many today who would say, yeah, we don't really need to know all that theology stuff. That's really unimportant. We just need to know how to live. We just need to know how to love one another. And if you've been here long, you've heard this a zillion times. We would disagree with that. We do need to know how to love one another, but that love comes out of a knowledge for God. Um, Because we can't love somebody properly if we don't know what love is. And we can't love people properly if we don't know what divine love is. So we need to have the knowledge of God. By the way, ignorance of God is never an attribute revered in the Bible. The Bible never uplifts ignorance of God. Oh, good, you, you just pushed the, the knowledge of God to the side. Way to go. You're just, what, living your life. I pray that you increase in the knowledge of God. And let me also state this, that the knowledge of God um, 
does not necessarily require formal education. And you know that I am a big fan of formal education. If you can go to Bible college or seminary or something like that, I pray that you you would. And if you're interested, why don't you talk to me? I'd be happy to get you enrolled. But formal education is not required to increase in the knowledge of God. One thing that God has done for all of us is he's given us a church. The church is one of the key means by which we might increase in the knowledge of God. And so we have all sorts of opportunities. We meet with one another and we have coffee with one another and we we have lunch with one another, dinner with one another, and we share the good things that God has taught us and we, we encourage and we strengthen one another. This particular church has multiple opportunities through the week for you to gather together in a group and study the and, and get to know who God is. There is no excuse for anybody, at least in this church, to not increase in the knowledge of God. There are multiple opportunities. And if we're lacking something that would meet a need, talk to us. We'll be happy to see if we can make that happen in a greater way. But Paul is praying, I want you to know God's will. Why? So that you would walk in a way that pleases him and that you would increase in fruitfulness and the knowledge of God. And then he goes on and he says, so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully, oh, sorry, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This is another element or a modifier of what it means to walk in a manner that pleases God that we would um, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God has filled us with the knowledge of his will for a purpose. Paul prayed that you would know God's will. Now he's saying, I pray that you would, this knowledge would have a purpose. That purpose is to walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. It would bear fruit, that your knowledge of him would, in, would increase and that you would be strengthened with all power. All power. All power. That's, I'm going to just say to the highest degree, to the nth degree, to whatever, infinity. I'm praying that you would know God's will so that you would walk in a manner pleasing to him, being strengthened, with all power. And the measure of this strength is according to his glorious might. So, all right, that one caused me to pause for a little bit. According to his glorious might. If he didn't include the word glorious, I would have been fine. According to his might, I would have said, awesome. But he adds the word glorious. So what do we mean by glory or glorious? Well, it's a, it's a word that's used throughout the Bible. I think it's one that Christians often take for granted and we use uh, maybe unknowing of exactly what the idea, uh, the way I define glory, maybe this isn't the best definition, but it works for me. I'll share it with you. If you hate it, then find a better one. 
glory, the glory of God, when we say I, the glory of God is God is seen for who he truly is. He is seen accurately. He is seen as he truly is. Um, and so when we say, I want to see the glory of God, that means I want to see God as he truly is, unfiltered, without any alloy, without any um, shield, or I want to see him truly. I don't want any, any lie or mistruth to enter into my understanding of who God is. I want to see him as he truly is. And so here I pray, Paul is saying, I want you to be strengthened to, by his glorious might, the might that reveals God for who he truly is. I pray that you would have a strength that transcends, that is so transcendent, so awesome, that people say, that can only be God. That must be God because that's not the person. That it shows, it's a might, a strength that shows and puts God on full display. This might, this glorious might, is epitomized in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because who can raise the dead? Only God. That's the glorious might that Paul is talking about here. I pray that resurrection might, strength, be given to you. It puts God on full display. It is, and note here, it is God who's doing the strengthening. Here's another passive verb. It is God who is doing, I pray that you would be strengthened. Not that you would strengthen yourself. This is not, well, go and lift some weights and then you'll be strong. This is that God would fill you with, with himself so that his might would be on full display in your life. Specifically, endurance and patience. Oh. God would empower you to endure. Usually when we talk about endurance, we're, endurance would suggest a difficult situation. And patience suggests difficult people. I pray that God's glorious might, that God would be on full display in your life when you are in a difficult situation, that you are able to hold up in that difficult situation. And yes, Deal wisely with difficult people. Well, we can probably still say amen. But then Paul, Paul adds, with joy. What? <laughs> Did he really say that? Why didn't he just leave it alone? That God would fill us with all joy or with all endurance and patience. That's enough. With joy? You mean I've got to deal with that group of people? with not only patiently displaying God's splendor, I like that, but with joy? This is why it must be God. Those of you who are teachers, if you have kids, working with... Well, it's, it's everybody. If you work for somebody, if you have employees working for you, if you, have a, if you are a teacher, if you, are, if you have kids, yes, you have a need for God's glorious splendor to work through you in all endurance and all patience. And by golly, we need God to be on full display if I'm going to do it with joy. Church, you may have experienced uncommon endurance or patience and you wondered where it came from. I, you might get through something in the day, it's like, I don't know how that happened. But that customer, that parent, that person, that kid of yours, honey, 
ran me to the end, and yet I was able to handle it with joy. Do you wonder where that, maybe that's happened, maybe it's yet to happen to you. You so, well, say, I wish that would happen to me someday. Paul is praying that, I would, that you know the will of God so that you would walk in a manner worthy of him and that he would strengthen you with this endurance and patience and you would do so joyfully. Giving thanks to the Father. Paul, now, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Now the Colossians are the ones who give thanks to God. Paul has already given thanks for the Colossians. Now he is praying that... The, that the Colossians would give thanks to God. And thanks is an important theme here in the book of Colossians. And as I've mentioned earlier, thanksgiving implies reception of something unearned. Thanksgiving implies a gift. We give thanks for that which we have received that was unearned, a gift. It's like, wow, why did I get this? Why did you? I was, uh, when I first started working in a bike shop, um, I think I was hired around October, somewhere in there. And in December, I'd only been working there a couple of months, and I got this huge check from my boss on a Friday, which was payday. And it was a big check. And just so you know this, I probably cost that shop untold amounts of money that they had not planned on spending. I showed up every day, but they probably were thinking, oh, man, I made a mess of some... I broke that computer more times than you want to know. And I got this big check, and I thought, oh, well, that's probably my Christmas bonus and and my paycheck. And the next day, I got my paycheck. That was all Christmas bonus. That was all a gift. It was an undeserved... I, I did not deserve any Christmas bonus. I just started working there. I had probably cost the shop a bunch of money. I did not deserve anything. I deserved my work hours. My next paycheck, I deserved that. I earned that. But the check prior to that was an undeserved gift. That's what we mean by thankfulness usually arises from getting something that you didn't earn or that you didn't deserve. And in a world that Paul, in the world that Paul is writing, a world of false teachers who are prescribing some merit-based criteria for God's approval, thanksgiving is highlighted. The false teachers in Colossae are saying, God, you perform this way, and then God will repay you this way. There is a, a trade. There is a payment. There is a salary. I did X. Now God is required to follow with a certain payment. That's a wage. That is not grace. And so Paul wants the church of Colossae to be thankful. And thankful for what? Or they describe the God who they give thanks to. Look how God is um, described. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has done what? Qualified you. I want you to give thanks to God who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This idea of being qualified is he has made you sufficient. Your sufficiency to share in the inheritance given by God comes from God. Church, let me repeat that. Your sufficiency to share in the inheritance given by God 
comes from God. We might call this an alien sufficiency. That is, the sufficiency is outside of us. What qualified, I'll just ask, what, what has qualified you to share in the inheritance that God has provided? What have you done? What great thing? What have you earned? What have you merited? God has made you sufficient for such things. And what a great promise. And I just want to spend a few moments just hopefully maybe encouraging myself and you because it's easy to become discouraged. The enemy lies to us about measuring up to the high standard of pleasing God. It is a high standard. And we often fall short and we just think, oh, I fell short again. So what do we do? We work harder and we still fall short. And the false teachers in Colossae advocated for self-improvement. I want to encourage you, church, you who are feeling insufficient, unqualified of God's favor, unqualified, I, I want to encourage you of God's grace. It is God who qualifies you. In Philippians chapter 1.12, Paul says that I am convinced of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ's church. It is God who has qualified you. God made you worthy to be an inheritor of all of his goods. An inheritance. An inheritance is given to the Father's children. And God qualified you when he transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Church, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance that he has for his children. And then finally, I want to share with you the will of God. This isn't exhaustive. This isn't complete. We could go on and on and on and on, but God, Paul prays that they would be filled, characterized by the, by the will of God. Here is the will of God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is the will of God that you would be delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins? This is the will of God on display. A knowledge of God's will. What has God... Remember, I defined it as... What has God done in Christ? Well, here he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is Exodus language. Read Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 8. He has what? Delivered us from the domain of darkness. People... Doug Moo in his commentary says, people who have, not, who have not been rescued by God and Christ live in a power structure that is characterized by the forces of chaos, evil, and judgment, but God has delivered us from a power structure that is characterized by the forces of chaos, evil, and judgment. And he has not just delivered us and brought us into some, I don't know, nondescript place, but he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That is the place where the reign of Christ is fully realized. So what is the will of God? The will of God is that he would deliver us from the domain of darkness, transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what Paul is praying. I'm praying that you know the will of God. I'm praying that you know this. 
If you know nothing else I've said, I pray that you would know this. And it would transform your life. It would change the path you take. It would change everything about you. Transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The next question is, how does that transfer take place? I'm glad you asked. Into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Redemption is slave language. It is the price paid to free a slave. We have this redemption in his beloved son. The price paid to free a slave. Christ paid that penalty. You and I are the slaves. Christ paid the price to free us and deliver us from the domain of darkness and bring us into where he reigns supreme. He purchased us. We are his possession. By the sacrifice of Christ, the price paid to free us from the bondage of sin is the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. And let me state, it is paid in full and it is permanent. There are no installment payments still to be made. He has redeemed us. He has paid the purchase price to deliver you from the forces of chaos and bring you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it's paid in full. It is permanent. And then it's further characterized by the forgiveness of sins. Church, prior to being redeemed by Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the wages of sin is death. But through the sacrifice of Christ, a means has been provided to forgive that sin and overturn that death sentence. This is the will of God. I pray that you would know the will of God so that you would walk in a manner worthy, fully pleasing to him, that you would be characterized by these things and this is God's will. That you would be delivered from the domain of darkness, that you'd be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the price paid, the redemption, the forgiveness of sins purchased by Christ. I'll conclude with this. So Paul has prayed. This is the last of the introduction. Next week we get into the body of the text and it is dense, very dense. Paul has prayed And perhaps, church, maybe we can take a lesson from this prayer. You will notice in his prayer, there is, in this prayer, there is no mention of health, travel, job, relationship, anything else. That is, I am not saying that those are not appropriate subjects for prayer. We should pray for our health and one another's health. We should pray for our relationships. We should pray for um, travel mercies. We should pray for our jobs. I am just saying that Paul never mentions those in his prayers. Study the prayers of Paul in his epistles, and he rarely, if ever, talks about any of those things. Again, they are appropriate subjects, but we should be men and women who pray as Paul did, asking that... Our brothers and sisters, our friends, our church would be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Church, if you want to pray for this church, I'll take that. 
If you want to pray for me, I'll take that. If you mention my eyes or something else, I'll take that. But mention this first. I pray that I would have all be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That I would walk in a manner pleasing to him. That's a great prayer. Those subjects I said are appropriate, but there is more to prayer than just temporal needs. Second thing we want to take from this, not only as Paul prayed, but that we would follow the path of God. That is, our relationship with, with God should alter how we live. It should change the way we live. We may not always do it exactly right, but it should, it should alter the way we live. And finally, the will of God is on full display in the redeeming forgiveness that has been secured by Jesus Christ. And I would ask if any are here this morning who have never called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, but God is, is convicting you, saying, man, I need to get right with God. I have walked in a manner that does not please him, and I need to get that right. We have a meeting after church, but I will suspend or cancel that meeting in order to sit down and talk with you about what it means to follow Christ fully. I'll be happy to talk with you, uh, any of the elders, uh, probably just about anybody in the church would be happy to to speak with you. And we would love to do that. So I would encourage you to reach out and uh, let's talk about it. Father, we give you praise.